You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton, here on the America Out Loud Network. Thanks so much for joining me again. We are in the Christmas season, and uh, and I think I think I, I'd like to tell you about my Christmas wish list. You know, if I if I could uh, if I could send my little my little letter to Santa Claus and and have my wishes granted, this is be, would be what I what I would ask him for. I'd ask him for healing, both physical and emotional healing for the thousands of men and women who serve in the American law enforcement community and have served. There is such a huge number of officers who have faced physical injury and emotional injury for years. And many of those law enforcement officers have not had the proper treatment. They have not been given the opportunity to get well. So if I if I had my if I had my Christmas wishes, I would wish for healing. I'd wish for the healing of their physical bodies and their hearts and emotions. I would also put on my little Christmas wish list the wish of unity. The unity that should be taking place between the police and the people that they serve. We have seen such divisiveness. We've seen such a tearing apart of our culture here in America when it comes down to the relationships between the law enforcement officers of this country and the people that they serve. Of course, not in all communities. That's that's that would that would I'm not going to make a blanket statement like that, but still, in so many communities, we have seen almost purposeful um, tearing apart of that relationship. So if if I had my Christmas wish, I would I would wish for unity, the unity that that um, that could come, I think, easily between the police and the community that they serve. Because if we were unified, if we did stand together, this country would not only be safer, but we would see a much healthier environment for our nation and especially our police. What else would I wish for? I'd wish for justice. That's a big word, justice. But in this in this instance, I'm talking about the justice for our injured and disabled law enforcement officers. I can't tell you, especially as the founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, I can't tell you the thousands of heartbreaking stories and and, and interviews that I've had with, with law enforcement officers from all over this country and how they're treated once they become injured or disabled. And when I say injured, I'm not just talking about the physical injuries, although very much of the time I am. Officers who 
have been shot in the line of duty, stabbed, beaten, run over, um, uh, fallen, been in car crashes. There's so many ways that a police officer can get hurt, a law enforcement officer can get hurt um, in this country, and it's happening thousands and thousands of times. You know, last year we had about 57,000 police officers physically assaulted. That's an astounding number. And many of these are, are, once they are injured, aren't given the treatment that they need or deserve. Many are treated so poorly that their injuries are exacerbated. And what could have been fixed and could have returned them to a normal life and to full duty, they become disabled because of the delays in treatment. So when I think of justice, and I wish for justice, I wish that that justice would come to them and for them. Because only, only when, when the system is fixed and works the way it should, will our officers feel um, that they are appreciated and they are being treated with the respect and dignity that they so deserve. And then I guess I'd, I'd wish for peace. I'd wish for an end to this deadly and dangerous environment that police officers around the country are facing. At the end of this segment, at the end of the show, if you listen, you, you, you know that I do a, a piece called End of Watch, where we talk about and honor those men and women who've given their lives in the line of duty that week. The extraordinary number of names that I have to read this week um, is shocking. So when I say that I wish for peace, I wish for an end to the violence, to the disrespect, to the, to the way that, that, that law enforcement officers are being treated by so many even in the media. But these times are so violent, so dangerous. It would take a Christmas miracle, I think, to, to bring that peace. And lastly, I'd wish for kindness. You know, the Christmas season is a special time. It's a time when we think about our past. We think about our relationships. We think about how we've been treated throughout the year and how we've treated others. It's a time when very often we reflect upon the way we've treated others and, and make a change. Um, during this Christmas season, I've seen that. I've seen kindness. I've seen so many police departments <clears throat> um, create Memorable Christmases for families who are in need. I've seen people acting much friendlier towards each other than they normally would. And I think that that is a, is a special, magical moment. And I wish that, uh, that we could experience that <clears throat> all year long. But I'll take it during the Christmas season. You can bet on that. So I wish for kindness. And I guess the last thing that I would say to you now is uh, that I wish for you 
a happy, a healthy season that that brings with it um, your Christmas wishes. Merry Christmas. Time. That might that might just be all the time we need, right? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> uh, let's see. I have great news for you coffee lovers out there. Uh, there is a new brand of coffee, one that fully supports the American law enforcement officer, and it's a delicious cup of coffee too. It's called Law Dog Coffee. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. That's right. It is coffee with a cause. This coffee company truly does care about law enforcement, and they're showing it very tangibly. They donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. Now, that's what I call about coffee with a cause. But when it comes down to it, you want a great cup of coffee, and you want the convenience of that coffee being delivered directly to your home. So if you go to LawDogCoffee.com, you'll find some amazing blends of coffee. Uh, this is top quality. This is, not, this is not budget coffee. I can tell you that right now. Um, they have a, a deal with the Costa Rican government. They get the finest ethically grown beans. It is uh, all done naturally. And the uh, roaster has been a coffee roaster, a family-run coffee roaster, for 90 years. Uh, it is, uh, it's phenomenal. And they got some pretty, uh, pretty cool blends of coffee. Not only that, but they got some amazing gear as well. You got to check out their mugs and their clothing line, lawdogcoffee.com. Check it out. It is coffee with a cause and it tastes so good. It ought to be illegal. Law Dog Coffee. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. 
we know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, is a candidate for sheriff in the Travis County, uh, Texas area. And uh, John Lochran is a 25-year police veteran retired from the police department or from the sheriff's office down in Travis County. And um, he is facing uh, an incumbent who has chosen to be a, uh, a proponent of sanctuary cities, not cooperate with federal authorities. And, uh, but he, his story is, is fascinating. Uh, John Blocker, thank you for coming on to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's talk about let's talk about your decision to run for sheriff of of a, a let's talk about first of all Travis County Sheriff's Office is a big police department big big law enforcement agency um, how many how many sworn officers there are approximately eighteen hundred employees both in corrections and in law enforcement and civilian employees. Uh, that would probably be included in that. There, I would say, a couple hundred civilian employees. Okay, so we're talking about we're talking about a good sized department. Talk, if you would, give a little bit history of your law enforcement career. Sure. Um, I I worked for the Travis County Sheriff's Office for 25 years. I started when I was 22. I'm a third generation law enforcement officer. Uh, my my father retired from NYPD in 1980, and he moved us down to Texas. Uh, so I started very young with the sheriff's office. I've worked in the corrections bureau, um, patrol. I was on the SWAT team, community services, and I promoted to detective and then to sergeant where I was a patrol sergeant. Uh, during that time, I also volunteered to be on the sheriff's office dive team, which is a very busy dive team. I probably assisted in recovering 75 to hundred drowning victims in, in area lakes. Uh, including that of my own deputy on September 18th of 2014 uh, when she passed away. But that's my, I left the sheriff's office in 2017. Uh, it was after a new sheriff came in and well, after the injury or after the line of duty death of my deputy, I did everything that was asked of me. I took care of my employees. I spoke at her funeral. I assisted in recovery, pulling her out of Lake Travis and a year after that, I was diagnosed with a minor trauma-related injury. And then about a year after that, the new sheriff, uh, Sally Hernandez, came into office and based solely on that injury, terminated my 25-year career without even meeting with me, without the decency or courage to hear my side of the story. And she based it on, I guess, what she was told by uh, administrators at 
had a target on my back, quite frankly. So let's let's get into that just a little bit. Um, you're running you're running for sheriff. This is not something that probably was planned by you. At, uh, you never had a you never had a desire to run for sheriff, did you? I did not. I was, uh, you know, keep my head down, do my work, uh, work well with others. I'm very proud to have been a public servant. Uh, and having left the sheriff's office in 2017, it was against my will. But this, I'm not running out of animosity. I'm not running out of anger. I'm running for sheriff because the current situation is so bad at the sheriff's office. I have many friends that work there. And when I talk to them, they just sound defeated there's they have officers and supervisors re retiring in droves and they're and quitting and they're just miserable the ones that i speak with and it's it's very sad what's become because travis county sheriff's office uh, we're in austin texas we're the the capital city of texas it has a very rich history of, of very good leaders and and great sheriffs and what it's become is uh quite frankly it's, it's an embarrassment and I can do better. And that's, it came down to the last minute decision almost last day. I, I saw who was running and I knew that she was just going to walk right in there and continue um, her reign, if you will, uh, and, and making their lives miserable. So I knew that I don't like to point out problems. I like to be part of the solution. And I pointed out a lot of problems with the sheriff's office. And I believe this is part of the solution of if I could win this. I, morale goes up 100% on day one, I, I fully believe. So let's talk about, about Sally Hernandez gets elected sheriff of, uh, of Travis County. What was her previous law enforcement career? She has very, very little, I would say no real law enforcement experience. Uh, she worked uh, in for a small county, I believe, as a receptionist and, and then maybe as a dispatcher. And then she got a job with the Travis County District Attorney's Office uh, as an investigator. So I guess preparing cases and whatnot. And I'm guessing that's where she got some political connections. And she ran for constable of, of a small constable's precinct. And she, she won. She was a constable. And then in 2016, she ran for Travis County Sheriff. And she... She won, and she's been our sheriff for a little over three years now. So she, she has very little law enforcement experience and yet gets, gets elected. Um, was, who was her, was her backers? Did they know at the time that – I know that Austin is a, is a fairly liberal community, um, and, was, and, and I know that she has a, 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 an anti-federal um, anti, uh, government – uh, ICE working with ICE stance. Did you think that that was, that was part of what got her elected? I, I, yes and no, because all the candidates ran on that, uh, that platform, because that's what the community wanted. Uh, the way she enacted that policy was irresponsible. It, it was way too quick. She was allowing violent felons to not be detained for ICE to, to interview. And she was releasing everybody without cooperating with ICE at all. I, you know, I, I, as a commentator on, on law enforcement topics, uh, I continually just 
it, it makes me nauseous to see law enforcement leaders divide this country because of their political considerations on this topic. I mean, ICE and, and Border Patrol, they are sanctioned law enforcement agencies. And when, when they don't cooperate, um, the public safety is actually endangered. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that it needs to be done responsibly. If, if ICE is acting quickly on the detainers, then we should enforce them. But if it's the case where ICE is taking an extended amount of time and we're holding people for Class C misdemeanors longer than they should be, then I, I don't think that's right. I think we need to enforce the law. We need to work with other law enforcement agencies. And we also have to respect people's human rights and, and not breaking up families that don't need to be broken up, but allowing violent felons to just walk out of jail when we have a reason to hold them is just very irresponsible. You know, one of the things that, that uh, what comes to mind when talking about Sally Hernandez, your sheriff, um, she, was in, she, she made uh, national news a couple of years ago uh, when she was in one of the most bizarre videos I've ever seen involving law enforcement. Um, she claimed she was doing a motivational video. And in this video, she basically referred or compared the, the, the employees of the Travis County Sheriff's Office to slaves. Uh, you're familiar with this with this incident, are you not? I'm very familiar with it. Uh, you're the voice of law enforcement. I've become the voice of the Travis County Sheriff's Office. So when she made this video, she sent it out to her 1,800 employees, and she posted it on YouTube. Well, I had numerous employees calling me up and saying, you got to see this, because I know that I would speak out against the corruption that was going on there. Uh, this video is just, it is mind-boggling how anyone could have come up with this concept, wrote, the, wrote it, filmed it, watched it, and then still thought this is a good idea to put out. It's, it's amazing. And uh, I have a portion of it on my website, LochranForSheriff.com, and it's also on YouTube under Travis County Sheriff Compares Employees to Slaves. And it's, if you don't see it, you wouldn't believe it because it is just, it very much exemplifies her leadership of not a whole lot of intelligence to, to put something like that out and, and portraying your employees as slaves and you as a slave master. She's standing up in front of deputies barking orders while they're on a rower comparing to the Ben-Hur uh, slave boat scene. And it, it's, it's horrible. I, was, I, I, of course, saw that video when it came out and uh, was highly critical of it. Um, watching it was, it was actually painful to watch. Um, she was, she was an embarrassment to law enforcement, frankly. And, and her, and the, what that demonstrates about her leadership should be crystal clear to the people of Travis County. So I, I, I can't, it's just, it was, it was shocking. It truly was. And I think you're probably right that that, uh, evidences her her uh, her leadership, if you will. So um, 
But let, I, I want to go back and talk a little bit about what ended your police career because I think it's really it's really critical for my listeners to understand how law enforcement officers are being abused um, when they ask for help uh, for for uh, emotional trauma and and what you went through to me is is um, it is like a, the poster child of of how not to do it. So if you would, I know it's painful to talk about, I really do, but if you would just give a little bit of background about uh, the death of your deputy and how it affected you and, and then what the final outcome was. Sure, and it used to be very painful to talk about, but I've processed it. And I, I have processed and accepted uh, Jessica's death as part of God's plan for her, as well as for me. Um, it was September 18th of 2014. I was a patrol sergeant uh, working midnight shift. Uh, she was one of 10 deputies that were working for me that night. And at about 2 a.m., uh, after we had torrential downpours, uh, Central Texas is known as Splash Flood Alley, and we had the worst splash flood I had ever experienced. And about 2 a.m., she called out on the radio that her vehicle had been swept away. About a minute after that, she uh, advised that she was going to try to get to a tree. And that was the last we heard from her. I was about a mile and a half away. I was the first unit on scene. Uh, the conditions were terrible. It was dark. It was cold. It was uh, still a light rain. This, what is now a very small, nice flowing creek, it, it was a raging river. And being a a supervisor, as all my other patrol shifts responded, I wanted to be the guy going out on slippery rocks, crossing areas where I shouldn't, but I had to, as a leader, I had to tell them, no, we can't do that, and, and kind of pull back the reins a little bit, but that, she didn't have a chance in, in that river. Uh, she, it was, like I said, it, it was it was described as a beast, and that's what it was. Uh, myself and Jessica were also on the uh, dive team together. I had been on it for about 15 years at the time, and she was on it for about almost four years. And we were dive buddies when we were trained. Me and her would dive together a lot because we both had good air consumption. Uh, I was part of the, her, the dive team, part of her dive team, that recovered her the following day. Uh, we pulled I, her I, out I, of the I, 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 want, I want my listeners to, to really catch what you just said. You're your friend, your, your deputy, yes. the person that you have worked with for years, the person that you mentored, um, you were one of the people that recovered her body from the, from the lake. And I just want, I want, I want my listeners to conceive of how painful and traumatic that was for you. Because that was that was a life altering moment and that and 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 in essence the reason we're talking here today that you are making this effort to to become the sheriff um, has its roots in that trauma it it absolutely does that experience that that tragedy has taught me so much and i've I've learned a lot about what's important in life. I know not to take any day for granted. 
I saw her at show up just a couple hours later. And then a couple hours after that, she's gone. Uh, for a while after that, I had normal reactions. I had a very irrational fear of death, whether it was for another one of my deputies or uh, one of my daughters uh, or myself. I just had a very irrational fear of death. And that kind of dissipated over time. Uh, during the, the week following that, the funeral, I, I was asked to speak at the funeral. I've never been no, more nervous to do anything in my entire life. And I represent the, I'm proud of how I represented her as well as the department. And I was also asked to select her pallbearers, which, which is a very daunting task when you write down all her shift mates and dive team teammates and have to cross them out one at a time and come down with her six pallbearers. There were many things I was asked to do, including meeting with her mom the day after I recovered her to, uh, to pick up her county-issued gear or dive, dive team gear, uh, weapons, and, and uniforms and whatnot. And for the following year... I'm sorry, Jim. I, I, I'm just, I, it's so, it's so mind boggling um, to understand just how, just how difficult that can be to, to go and, and have to collect her gear from her mom. You know, that's, that, that in and of that alone um, can, can be a, a, a highly, highly um, traumatic thing to do. It was, and when I was asked to do it, um, I didn't want to. <laughs> I, I actually called another one of our dive team teammates who met me there, and that helped a lot. And agencies are not prepared for a line of duty death of their deputies generally. Um, so I don't fault my agency for that at all because it's things you make up on the fly. You know, it needed to be done. A lot of things need to be done and somebody's got to do it. I took pride in doing it. I, um, I was honored to speak for her. And again, it's stuff you're, you're never trained for. You're never prepared for it. And oddly enough, even though receiving a trauma-related injury because of it, I am better prepared today to handle that kind of situation for one of my deputies or, or anybody. But in, 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 in essence, it, this is what led to you developing um, some, some uh, post-traumatic injury, which is what eventually led to your, your own department turning its back on you and, and basically terminating you. Uh, yeah, not basically. They did. In, in February of 2016, a little over a year after uh, – she was recovered, I was diagnosed with a minor trauma-related injury, short of PTSD. And I don't, I don't distance myself from PTSD for any other reason than out of respect for those that actually have PTSD. I, well, I, have, I had what were, I consider lesser included offenses. And I know how much that affected me. So those who have you know, full PTSD, I, I can't imagine what they're experiencing and, and how, how it affects them. But when I was diagnosed with that injury, I was not met with any compassion. I was put on administrative leave. Uh, it was, I was met with discipline, internal affairs investigations over things that I did to honor her. And eventually I was terminated solely because of this injury by a new sheriff who again had never met with me and 
there is Supreme Court law, Laudermill versus Cleveland Board of Education, where they are required to meet with somebody before issuing any kind of, of discipline or action like this. Um, I'd been there 25 years. The new sheriff was there for three months. Three months, and then she had no contact with you. She didn't even have the courtesy to call you in and talk to you. Uh, they just sent a basically a missive from on high taking your career away. That's, that's what they did. It was a memo sent to my attorney. It wasn't even sent to me. That, that I thought ended my career. Uh, my termination is still appealed to district court. So the fact that I'm running for sheriff now would be very ironic that the sheriff's former termination from this agency is being appealed to district court. Uh, you know, I, I still love the sheriff's office. I still love the men and women there. I still love Travis County. I take pride in Travis County and I've lived here for 40 years. This, this is my home and that's, I was part of that agency for more than half of my life. I still love the men and women there. And that's one of the main reasons that's, a primary reason that I'm running for sheriff is because I know how miserable they are. And I believe that just if she can get removed from office, if I can pull this upset and unseat her, morale is going to go up 100% for 1,800 employees. And as a sergeant, I learned very quickly that when my employees, when they're empowered and treated with respect, they're happier at work and they're happier at home. And when they're happier at home, they're happier at work. And it's a cycle. And the men and women that worked for me loved working for me. Not because I was easy, because I would hold people accountable when they need to be held accountable, but because I empowered them and I, and I treated them with respect. So besides the fact that, uh, that you made this decision to, to run for sheriff, ex explain your, your uh, philosophies of leadership and how they differ from the present leadership? Well, the present leadership, again, when she terminated me, she sent a very clear message to everyone not to ask for help. My philosophy of leadership, it's leadership in service to others. I believe that a leader should empower their, their officers, uh, treat them with respect, give them the proper training, uh, train them to be very to be my replacement that's that was my job as a sergeant i told my my deputies on the first night that we had a, a briefing i said you don't work for me i work for you and i fully believe that's what a leader should be it's my job to make their jobs easier to empower them and definitely handle any kind of disciplinary problems or if i've always said if, if there's if you have 20 percent of your employees that aren't doing the job, you need to address those. Otherwise, you lose the 80% that are hardworking. So I, I, I do try to give control. I don't take control from my employees and keep track of them. You know, I train, give them training, give them proper uh, empowerment and, and respect. And they're not, they're not getting that at all. They're being compared to slaves. They're actually <laughs> She actively fought against a pay raise that the association was was trying to get from commissioner's court. She actively campaigned against it. Well, that's a that's a sure that's a surefire way to to, to uh, get the loyalty of your people. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And her um, her position is uh, 
has been uh, basically sanctuary city friendly. Uh, she has she's adopted the uh, political um, uh, characteristics, if you will, of the typical sanctuary city law enforcement leader, where they don't cooperate with ICE and Border Patrol. Now in Texas, I would think that that would be that that would be a very unpopular um, political choice. But I know that Austin and the area where Travis County is, is, uh, is a fairly liberal area. How does that play into the, the politics of what's going on down there? I think it plays into it a lot. And uh, Austin, Austin's uh, slogan is keep Austin weird. Austin is a little different. <laughs> uh, we, we're a, a blue dot in, in a sea of red. And I believe that elected officials should speak for those <laughs> that, that elect them put them into position. So I do believe that the public opinion needs to be taken into consideration. But I don't agree with how she implemented uh, the, the policy of not in, enforcing any detainers from ICE. She was letting violent felons just go out of jail when we had a reason to keep them and, and detain them into jail for ICE to be interviewed. And she was just releasing everybody back onto the streets. And it's caused so many other unintended issues. Uh, the, she's been at odds with the governor. Uh, the, there was a, a grant that she could have applied for but didn't even apply for that would have given all the officers uh, bullet-resistant vests. That she, did, she didn't apply for that grant. They also defunded uh, the ethics commissions or the ethics portion of the district attorney's office to investigate ethics violations, which ironically enough has probably helped her because these had quite a few ethics violations. Wait a minute, hold on a second. I, you, I, this is something I, have, I was not aware of. So the district attorney's office had a, um, um, a, a seat at the table, if you will, of making, of, of investigating ethics complaints against, against uh, what, political figures? Uh, political Yes, across the state and law enforcement and uh, public servants and went out across the state as the uh, capital city and the capital county, they were charged with that. And the district attorney's office had a unit to investigate uh, corruption, basically. And the way I found this out is because when I went to go file an ethics case over how I was treated uh, with perjury and whatnot, uh, how I was treated, the, the district attorney informed me of that, that they no longer have that agency. It was defunded due to the <laughs> battle with the governor and, and the current sheriff. Wow. So because, because of her, because of her um, inability to, to work with the governor, a vital, a, a, a vital uh, component of, the over, of overseeing corruption was disbanded. Correct. Yeah. And I believe that it, as soon as she is unseated, if she is unseated, that that would be refunded or yeah, it would be funded once again. Uh, but until then her and the governor are at odds and uh, it's not a funded unit anymore. That, that in and of itself is a really critical component, I would think. With, that the public should know. Now, what's the public's response? I mean, you know, sometimes the the sheriff's race is is 
um, it's not a uh, doesn't get all the attention that it should. Um, is there a lot of voter apathy, and is there is there a lot of uh, you know when it comes down to interference? Is there a lot of interference in, in the election uh, abilities there? I, I don't believe there's any interference. I believe that um, a lot of voters are not aware of who's running for sheriff. They see a name that they recognize. Uh, she has been sheriff uh, for three years now. There's a very popular, uh, well-known reporter uh, named Sally Hernandez has the same name. So it's, it's my job to educate the voters, to let them know who she is, and more importantly, who I am, what I stand for, and what I represent, and that I really need their vote. And the citizens of Travis County, I believe, uh, would benefit greatly if I were to win this election somehow. Well, you know, this is really a David and Goliath kind of a, kind of a battle here. Um, you know, she is a, she is a part of a well-funded political machine. She's an incumbent, and uh, you know, you have a very short window here in order to make an impact. Uh, how can people help you? How do they get, how do they uh, volunteer for you and support your campaign? Sure, they, they can go to my website. It's Lochran for Sheriff. It's L O U G H R A N for Sheriff.com. You can make donations. Uh, e there's my email is on there. You can email me for endorsements. And I believe this is this is so important. Again, if it wasn't, I would not be running. I'm not a politician. This is going to be very grassroots. I'm going to get the word out as much as I can. But people need to be aware of not just her poor decisions, but her there's a lack of respect for the law and, and I'll validate that by telling you that her, the major that she appointed over all of law enforcement had admitted to using controlled illegal controlled substances for about an eight year period. Uh, he was arrested for indecent exposure uh, due to, he was engaged in lewd acts on the beach. He was handcuffed, put in the back of a patrol car, but he knew the police chief where he was. So he got out of it. Um, I could go on with different things about him. And there's also one of her captains committed aggravated perjury when he lied on a search warrant in 2001. While serving that search warrant, SWAT officer Keith Ruiz was killed in line of duty. And these are the people that she has appointed to be in her administration. So there's not a whole lot of buy-in from the, the rank-and-file troops uh, of her respect for the law. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're uh, we're running out of time, uh, John Lacker, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to appear on uh, on Blue Lives Radio, the Voice of American Law Enforcement. I wish you very good luck with the uh, with the election, and I thank you for standing up. And I know it's a, it's a, it had to be a really difficult decision for you. Um, you know, you're uh, you're 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 facing a tough battle, and and you know there can be. You know, especially in politics, you know, there can be there can be some dirty things that take place. So, um, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And, and and I know you have you have certainly been through uh, some very traumatic situations. And I'm glad to, to see that you're you're on top of it and, uh, and, and and care enough to to even make this attempt. Thanks so much. Thank you. Zan. I appreciate it. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement, 
for any time, you know that we are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have a fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist for you. You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured, either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join the Wounded Blue. And if you're a police officer or have them, exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store, it's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country, many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we have the duty and the honor to pay our respects to the men and women of the law enforcement profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This has been a very deadly time for the American law enforcement officer. And, uh, and this week I have... I have way too many names to read. The first is Chief Deputy Bobby Wayne Jacobs of the Knott County Sheriff's Office in Kentucky. Chief Deputy Bobby Jacobs suffered a fatal heart attack several hours after responding to assist at the scene of a barricaded subject who had threatened to kill law enforcement officers. Another deputy had attempted to serve a warrant on the man, but he barricaded himself inside of his home. Chief Deputy Jacobs responded to the scene and the man was eventually taken into custody. He reported to duty the following morning and handled a call for service. He returned to the sheriff's office, where he collapsed a short time later. Chief Deputy Jacobs had served in law enforcement for 23 years. He is survived by his wife and three daughters. Chief Deputy Bobby Wayne Jacobs, Knott County Sheriff's Office, Kentucky. End of watch, Monday, 
December 16th, 2019. The next is Private First Class, Michael Sean Latou of the Marion County Sheriff's Office in South Carolina. Private First Class, Mike Latou was killed in a single vehicle crash while responding to a call for service at 1.05 a.m. His vehicle left the roadway on US-76 and struck a bridge pillar. PFC Latou had served with the Marion County Sheriff's Office for five years and had previously served as a dispatcher. In 2018, he was recognized as both Deputy of the Year and Patrolman of the Year. Private First Class, Michael Sean Latou, Marion County Sheriff's Office, South Carolina. End of Watch, Tuesday, December 17th. 2019. The third is Sergeant Anthony Oglesby Jr. of the United States Department of Defense, Naval District, Washington Police Department. Sergeant Anthony Oglesby was killed in a single vehicle crash near the intersection of Route 224, Chickamuxin Road, and Sweden Point Road in Indian Head, Maryland at approximately 2.30 a.m. His patrol car left the roadway and struck a tree that fell onto the car, causing it to catch fire. He was on patrol in the area of the Naval Support Facility, Indian Head, when the crash occurred. Sergeant Anthony Oglesby, Jr., United States Department of Defense, Naval District, Washington Police Department, end of watch, Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. Sergeant Scott Johnson of New York City Police Department. Sergeant Scott Johnson died as a result of the cancer that he developed following his assignment to the search and recovery efforts of the World Trade Center following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Sergeant Johnson has served the New York Police Department for 23 years. He is survived by his wife and seven daughters. Sergeant Scott Johnson, New York City Police Department. End of watch, Thursday, December 19th, 2019. Deputy Sheriff Cooper Dyson of the Pierce County Sheriff's Department in Washington. Deputy Sheriff Cooper Dyson was killed in a single vehicle crash in the 1300 block of 112th Street while responding to back up other deputies at a domestic violence incident. The deputies he responded to the initial incident at 3 a.m. were immediately attacked by a male subject who engaged them in a violent struggle. The deputies believed the man was attempting to access a shotgun that was inside of the home and called for backup during the struggle. Deputy Dyson was responding to their call for assistance when his vehicle left the roadway and struck a commercial building. A passerby called to report the crash and Deputy Dyson was found deceased by responding deputies. Deputy Dyson has served with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office for two years. He is survived by his expectant wife and two-year-old child. Deputy Sheriff Cooper Dyson, Pierce County Sheriff's Department, Washington. End of watch, Saturday, December 21st, 2019. The next police officer to die in the line of duty this week. San Antonio Independent School District Police Department, Detective Cliff Martinez. Detective Cliff Martinez was intentionally struck and killed by a vehicle after he broke up a fight at an IHOP restaurant on Wells Boulevard at approximately 3 a.m. He was working secondary employment at the restaurant when the fight broke out between several patrons. Detective Martinez was able to move the subjects out of the restaurant and into the parking lot when he was attacked by at least two people and knocked to the ground. While he was still on the ground, the subjects entered a car and intentionally ran him over several times. They then fled on foot. One of the subjects was arrested approximately 12 hours later and charged with murder. Detective Martinez has served with the San Antonio Independent School District 
department for 28 years and had previously served with the Bexar County Sheriff's Office. Detective Cliff Martinez, San Antonio Independent School District Police. End of watch, Saturday, December 21st, 2019. Police Officer Jose Umberto Mesa of the Burnett Police Department in Texas. Police Officer Jose Mesa suffered a heart attack following extensive training with his canine partner, Cuzo. He and Cuzo had conducted canine tracking training for several hours with other canine units. At the end of the training, Officer Mesa told other officers he was not feeling well and returned home. The following morning, his wife called 911 and reported a medical emergency. Officer Mesa was transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. Officer Mesa had served with the Burnett Police Department for one year, had previously served with the Liano County Sheriff's Office for two and a half years. Police Officer Jose Humberto Mesa, Burnett Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Friday, December 20th, 2019. Deputy Sheriff Brian Fluger of the San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office in Texas. Deputy Sheriff Brian Fluger was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of Hill Land and Davy Lane in Cold Spring at 6.45 p.m. He was responding to a burglary call and traveling behind another deputy. As the deputy in the first patrol car slowed down to make a turn, Deputy Fluger swerved to avoid a rear-end collision. Deputy Fluger's patrol car clipped the other patrol car and then overturned. Deputy Fluger, who was not wearing a seatbelt, was ejected from the vehicle and sustained fatal injuries. Deputy Fluger served with the San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office for four years. He is survived by his wife and young child. Deputy Sheriff Brian Fluger, San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of watch, Saturday, December 21st, 2019. Each of these law enforcement officers made the ultimate sacrifice for the people that they serve. May they rest in peace. Thanks so much for tuning in and joining me on a, another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network. This is our final broadcast of the year. So not only do I want to wish you a incredibly happy and healthy holiday season, but I want you to think about the new year and what it's going to bring. You know, when you're talking about resolutions, let's resolve to work together. Let's resolve to honor those American law enforcement officers who each and every day sacrifice their time, their effort, and very often their own lives for the communities that they serve. Let's show them that respect, that dignity that we all wish to be treated with. And in the next year, you're going to hear much more from me here on the America Out Loud Network. We're going to continue to tell you the stories of law enforcement to be their voice because that is exactly what we do here on the Voice of American Law Enforcement. I urge you to support the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, www.thewoundedblue.org. And since you love coffee like I do, check out lawdogcoffee.com. Not only is it great coffee, but it's coffee with a cause because they support 
the injured and disabled officers of this country. They support them financially. They support them emotionally. And they are our partner here on this show, Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. 